When our children were little and Marilyn and I were putting them to bed, we would read them stories from their favorite books. These were stories they had heard many times. They already knew how the stories ended, but they wanted to hear them again. There was something comforting about knowing that no matter what the trouble was, the characters came through to the other side. They asked me to tell them stories about my childhood, especially the ones where I got into trouble, where I did something dumb, which was quite often, was found out, and then everything worked out. I've often quoted Dag Hammarskjöld in my sermons and classes. Forgiveness is the child's dream of a miracle by which what is broken is made whole and what is soiled is made clean again. Daddy, tell me the story about the time you got run over by your friend and his horse. Tell me the story about when the cow kicked you across the barn floor and Grandpa found you staring at the ceiling. Tell me the story about when you flooded the chicken house and scared all the chickens. Painful experiences with no particular happy endings at the time, but redeemed over the years with tears and laughter. Pain plus time equals humor, says Lenny Bruce. Humor is chaos remembered in tranquility, says James Thurber. Time doesn't so much heal as it redeems painful memories. You can't unremember stuff. As I have said many times before, we remember stuff so we won't get hurt again. Doesn't mean we won't get hurt again, but we are wired to remember stuff so we won't get hurt again by doing the same dumb things or getting suckered again or by being used and abused by the same people who we told ourselves we could trust, but then learned could not be trusted. And we never forget those experiences. We can only tell the stories and in the telling of the stories, reframe them, recover what is lost and place them in a larger narrative of redemption. That's why we have therapists and writers and poets and comedians and filmmakers and spiritual directors and especially friends who, when we say, I may have already told you this story, don't say, yeah, I've heard that before, even if they've already heard it many times, because they know you need to tell the story. They know that you need someone to listen to the story, because telling the story is when something new happens. Most of the stories in the Bible are like this. We come back to them again and again, even though we have heard them before and we've heard them so many times. We think we know them and then we hear them again and something new, something remarkable happens. It's as if we are hearing them for the first time. There is a comfort in a familiar story 
something reassuring. But there are also surprises. Before they were written down, these stories were told over and over again from memory, generation to generation, mother to daughter, father to son. The story of Joseph is one of these kinds of stories. Jacob gave him a coat of many colors, or closer to the meaning of the Hebrew word, the coat with long sleeves, which means he didn't have to do any work. Joseph had dreams that belittled his brothers. Worse still, he told them about these dreams. Joseph was Jacob's favorite, which caused hard feelings and, and lingering resentment among his brothers. It inspired hatred. They plotted to kill him. It doesn't seem like a story you would want to hear over and over again, but is, it is one of the most formative stories in the Bible. It is filled with treachery and jealousy and betrayal. And all of this, remarkably, leads to grace. It leads to a surprisingly happy ending in a story that didn't look like it was going to turn out that way. It leads to mercy. It leads to forgiveness. It leads to reconciliation. When you read the story, you expect some payback. You expect revenge. They sold Joseph into slavery. When they last saw him, he was on the back of a camel heading for Egypt. They convinced their father that Joseph was dead, took his coat with the long sleeves and smeared it with blood and gave it to Jacob. Joseph was as good as dead to them. Jacob the deceiver was himself deceived and he grieved. As a slave in Egypt, Joseph works for a while for a wealthy man overseeing his household and then is set up by the man's wife and thrown in jail. Here the story gets interesting. He starts interpreting dreams for the jailer who brings him to others and eventually he interprets the dreams of the king of Egypt who has been having recurring nightmares fat cows and skinny cows and good grain and bad grain. Here's what's going to happen, Joseph tells him. Save all the grain you harvest for seven years because after that you'll have seven years with no crops. Joseph's word proves right and the king gives him control over all the food in Egypt, which in the famine gave him power over life and death. The Pharaoh puts his own signet ring on Joseph's hand, dresses him in the finest linen, puts a gold chain around his neck, and gives him a chariot of his own. When Joseph was bundled up and trundled off to Egypt, he was completely at the mercy of his brothers and the slave traders. His life counted for nothing. As Joseph worked in Egypt and was thrown into jail, the memory of what his brothers had done to him must have eaten at his insides. Joseph would have longed for a day of reckoning, determined to live to that day when his brothers would have to answer for what they had done to him, 
when they might pay with their lives for destroying his. Maybe a thirst for vengeance kept Joseph alive. But here is where the story takes a turn. Joseph's wildest dreams of revenge become a possibility as famine hits the whole world and Joseph's brothers come to Egypt to get food from its storehouses filled with seven years of harvests. They have no idea that Joseph is even alive, let alone that he will hold their lives in his hands. Nor does Joseph himself yet know this. When they arrive, Joseph recognizes them, but they do not recognize him. In that very moment, Joseph could have had them killed or made slaves, but he doesn't. Instead, he plays a trick on them. He plants evidence to make them look like thieves. And then, when they are brought back to him, Joseph reveals who he is. I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? They are stunned. This is not a happy reunion. In this moment, it's a reunion from hell. They hated Joseph for his dreams, and now Joseph is their worst nightmare come back to haunt them. This is pain without time, Lenny Bruce would say. It is chaos not yet remembered in tranquility, to paraphrase James Thurber. There is no escape. They can't undo the treachery they have done. They are powerless, and they are at the mercy of one for whom they showed no mercy. Joseph has played with them like a cat plays with a mouse before killing it. Nothing good will come from this, or so it seems. Come closer, he says. I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. Joseph sees the fear in their eyes. His brothers realize to their horror that their lives are now in Joseph's hands as his life was once in their hands. The table has been turned. They expect a reckoning. They expect judgment. But instead of a reckoning, they get mercy. Instead of judgment, there is forgiveness. Don't be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, Joseph tells them. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Later, Joseph tells them, Don't be afraid. What you intended for evil, God intended for good, for the saving of many. Instead of paying them back with their own cruelty, Joseph gives them what they do not deserve. The slate is wiped clean. That's the very definition of grace getting what you don't deserve. And once given, that grace is irrevocable. How good, how pleasant it is, the psalmist says, when everyone lives together in unity. And the blessing of the Lord, the psalmist says, is forever. We are drawn to this story. We have been for thousands of years. We know the ending but we want to hear it again and again. Why is that? 
because the story of Joseph and his brothers is our story. It is the story of human history. It is the story of resentment turned violent, the story of payback, the story of retribution, the story of lies and treachery concealed, the story of hidden guilt that cannot be buried forever, of truth that finally breaks through. It is the story of a thirst for justice, but also a thirst for revenge. It is the story of the deserving and the undeserving. It is the story of people who don't get what's coming to them, but instead get what they don't deserve. It is the story of mortal, unforgivable wounds that are forgiven anyway. The story of reconciliation against the odds. It is the story of a victim who forgives his victimizers when he should have killed them, who weeps and kisses those who hated him, who comforts those who hurt him. It is the story of mercy so unexpected it creates repentance, not the same old story of threats that change behavior, but in the end change nothing. It is the story of Hammerskold's child's dream of a miracle by which what is irretrievably broken is made whole again, almost like it was never broken in the first place, except that we will always remember it. We can't forget it. That is why we come back to this story again and again, because it is so unlikely because there is so much that we can't remember in our own lives. Daddy, tell me the story of the time your brothers sold you into slavery and you wanted to make them suffer for what they did, but you didn't. It is, for Christians, the story that is played out in the cross, where the beloved son is cast aside, rejected, and killed, and weeps for those who are killing him. Forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. We keep coming back to this story because the ending is so unexpected and unlikely. In this, we find hope against the odds, an irrevocable and stubborn grace that turns everything on its head, through which life begins again. In Romans, Paul asks, has God rejected his people because of disobedience? By no means. It only makes the mercy, the surprise ending written by a gracious God, that much sweeter. In Jesus' story of the lost son, everything changes when he comes to himself, when he realizes that his father has always loved him, that the ending he wrote for himself is not inevitable that it was never inevitable, and he turns and comes home to the arms of a weeping father. We can keep living in the twisted world we have created for ourselves, or we can imagine another ending in the irrevocable grace of God, where there are beginnings without end. God wraps forgiving arms around a defiled humanity, and that changes everything. Jesus never worried about getting his hands dirty. He was always touching the unclean. With his touch, the unclean became clean. 
Love your enemies, he said. Bless those who persecute you and spitefully use you. You love those who love you? What good is that? Anyone can do that, he said. It's the same old story, getting what you deserve. My story, Jesus said, has a different ending. You get what you don't deserve. So in our gospel text, an outsider, a Canaanite woman, gets what she does not deserve, and the story has a happy ending. Deserves got nothing to do with it. No one deserves mercy. That's the whole point. It is in the unexpected, reckless grace of God that we are set free, that our story has a different ending from the one we have written for ourselves. It is in this reckless grace that the story we have written for others takes a turn and they are set free. And it is irrevocable. We may turn away, but God's mercy remains in spite of us, not because of us. God keeps giving it away. What is the ending of the story you have written for yourself? What have you broken that you long to be made whole? What is the story that other people have written for you that you have come to believe is inevitable? A story with a bitter ending. The good news is that it's not inevitable. The rest of the story is still being written by the irrevocable grace of God. God in his mercy is not through yet. Have no fear, Joseph told his brothers. What you intended for evil, God intended for good, for the saving of many. The story has a happy ending, and nothing, nothing is lost. Amen.